Alex Ovechkin has reached 800 goals. Incredible to reach 500 for any player these days, but 800 is astronomical. And it seems only a matter of time that he will beat Wayne Gretzky's record, just a matter of picking a game at this point. Meantime, the LA Kings are committing to a young star in Trevor Moore. Seattle is going bargain hunting with a waiver claim that uh, caught a lot of people by surprise. And we talk about things we got right and wrong so far this season. Episode 347 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Them Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Alex Ovechkin, 800 goals. Let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah, what are you talking about? I feel like we talked about it when he reached his 700th goal yeah, a few seasons yeah. ago. We might have talked about it when he reached his 600th goal. Um, but uh, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, he has, so he has 800 goals. The only ones, that, or the only two that have more goals all time is Gordie Howe, which uh, inevitably he's going to break this year because Gordie Howe has 801 goals all time. Um, yeah, then, at this rate, he's going to break it next week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if I think the do the the Capitals play tonight. I feel like they might. Um, and if uh, I, taking a look at uh, the Washington Capitals uh, schedule uh, at the moment, because I know they play Ottawa soon. Uh, they are in Detroit Monday. Oh, they don't, go, uh, they don't play tonight. Or, or they're hosting Detroit Monday. Then they're okay. in Ottawa Thursday. And uh, then uh, they also host uh, the Winnipeg Jets before Christmas. That would be fitting if he ties Cordy Howe when he plays Detroit. Uh, that would be kind of cool. But, um, yeah, forget Ty. You'll probably get two goals and surpass him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was interesting, too, because he had that like hat trick which uh, to get to that 800 mark yeah. and i feel like there was something to that where he once he realized he was really close he was just like you know what i'm just gonna try to try to get it um and and do it right away so um that would be pretty cool that like yeah you're right it would be i i knowing ovechkin he's gonna like once he gets one goal he's gonna try to get another one um, well, and, and just on big yeah. nights, I feel like whenever he's about to make history, he might yeah. as well put an exclamation point. So then he does something yeah. incredible, like score a hat trick. Yeah, we we've talked a ton about Ovechkin over the years. It's like to the point where we've already said everything that needs to be said about him. He's one of the greatest, um, and yeah, it's a pleasure just watching him play. Um, you just feel like nervous whenever he has the puck. Um, yeah, he's not, you know, he's past his prime, but he's still like a legitimate scorer. Uh, what I, what I think is kind of interesting is similarly, cause he's always attached to Crosby whenever we talk about like legacy stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I assume you know this, but, um, how many, what, how many points do you think Crosby has? I'm just making this into a fun game. I think, even though you probably might already know. See, I would probably say, like, I don't know, 1,395, because I know Crosby has missed a bunch of games, and Ovechkin kept on trucking while he was injured. Um, And I know Ovechkin had more points in his rookie year than Crosby did, if I recall correctly, so I would say less than Ovechkin. Um, Well, that, I I, I thought I was going to, I was asking this season, 
but uh, you are... Oh, this season. Oh, um, I think Crosby has more than Ovechkin this season. I'm pretty confident. Yes, yes. He has 40 points, believe it or not. He's seventh um, to the point where he's seventh underratedly. Underratedly, that's not a word, but um, <clears throat> it feels like, you know, because we talk about Crosby and Ovechkin, and of course, McDavid has surpassed him. Kucherov has passed him. All these elite guys have kind of passed him. But Crosby is still Sidney Crosby. He has 40 points in 30 games. He's seventh in the league in points. Um, and then Ovechkin, he has 35 points in 33 games, and he's 19th. Um, and to answer your question uh, that I unintentionally asked, um, so Ovechkin has a career of 1,445 points, and Crosby yep. has fourth, 14... 1,449. Um, so, um, so they're really close. Uh, Crosby has four more points than Ovechkin does. But that's not, let, let's not talk about Crosby. Um, this is about Ovechkin. Um, and of course, Ovechkin has more goals than Crosby does uh, career-wise. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's really cool just watching him play. It's like, I think it's like, we'd kind of take Ovechkin for granted. Um, it would have been cooler if he scored that goal on, like, through that, like, little, like, circle, the left circle on a power play or whatever. Yeah, that trademark that, slot, that's, yeah. That's his automatic goal, pretty much, for him. But, uh, but of course, it's it's kind of it's kind of exciting that we, we have um, Ovechkin. He just loves hockey, and he just, that's all he does is score goals and, it's also kind of interesting too, as like we've come to realize that a lot of like superstar players, they kind of change their games as they grow older because they can't rely on speed as much as they used to. Whereas Ovechkin, it doesn't matter how old he gets; he's just gonna keep on scoring goals. Like it, it doesn't even matter. Um, well, and, and he cr- absolutely crushed a Leafs player in the boards in like his mid thirties doing that. Like, yeah, that's a good point too. He we, still we plays mentioned that. Uh, his hip parade yeah. stats before on the podcast, but yeah. like the dude can still crush bodies at his age. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's a good point too. He still plays that way too, which is incredible too, and in his own way because physical, mm. like physical players like that don't really like have like a lower, long, a uh, lower, shorter shelf life. Um, yeah, so just ask yeah. Justin Brown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that that's um, it's just uh, it's just cool to see that Ovechkin is doing that. Um, then we have uh, this news that Trevor Moore um, signs an extension with LA. Um, he he gets five years, four point two million. Um, that's that's a decent amount. I haven't looked exactly at like their cap friendly page just yet, but. Uh, Trevor Moore's have well he uh, he got the shootout goal winning goal against my Bruins right after that which is of course very fitting but um, yeah Trevor Moore he, I'm just trying to pull his up his stats here he has 18 points in 34 games um, which you know um, is it's okay um, he has 17 minutes of ice time as well um, so so there's something interesting about that I feel like the Kings don't usually score a ton but um but yeah Trevor Moore he's kind of underrated in his own way too so um I I don't know I I feel like this could be a good deal um maybe 
Yeah, I don't know. Four, like it's it's weird doing like long terms for five years, but at four point two million, I think, I think the Kings will ha- happily take that, um, that contract. Well, and the, and the thing is, like, there's there's a lot of term uh, with that uh, with that contract as well. It's a five year deal, four point two million dollars per season, which it I would say is pretty affordable as the salary cap uh, goes up. And he was supposed to be uh, unrestricted free agent uh, this year. But I see a lot of offensive upside, and you started to show flashes of that last year. Uh, starting this year, um, I would I would call a pretty solid start. He's kind of teared off a little bit on the offensive side, but um, there you look at the the season he had last year. He had over 200 shots. He had 202 shots on goal last year. Very underrated offensive season, and I think he can be a consistent 20 25 goal scorer in this league. And you look at all of the guys that the Kings have right now, Arthur Kaliev, who has potential, um, who hasn't really gotten a top six shot yet. I think his time is coming within the next few years. You have Victor Arvidsson, Kevin Fiala, obviously. Uh, Anze Kopitar is still there. Philip Deneau, who's had some good offensive seasons recently. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to in Los Angeles. And there are also guys like Alex Turcotte and Quinn Byfield, who haven't even been come close to making uh, an impact at the NHL level yet. So the future is very bright, and I think Trevor Moore is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, we talked about this last week, that um, that Ely Tolvanen was put on waivers. Uh, we didn't say, well, we, we assumed that a team would pick him up. We didn't know which team it was. Um, it turns out that Seattle has claimed him. <clears throat> um, it appears that he's uh, he hasn't played yet uh he's uh, the seattle are playing right now as we speak but um but he's a healthy scratch um at the moment but um, and he hasn't played yet but um what's kind of incredible is like we thought that a, a team like anaheim a team like ottawa a team like arizona like teams that are um not in a playoff spot would would claim him um and that would be a team that he could thrive on because you know, like, it's just, like, a top of the order, like, a guy like that, especially with his contract, um, with that, like, hype around him, and, like, there's still endless potential with, with this guy. It was surprising that Seattle Kraken, they're a good team, um, and they, they claimed him, um, and they were 22nd, um, team to, like, in that, in that waiver list, um, so it's just, it's just crazy that, I'm more surprised that 21 teams passed on him, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what they do. This kind of reminds me of when the Kraken claimed Alex Beret Boulay and then only played him for one game and then they put him back on waivers and then the Lightning claimed him again. Um, so, um, so maybe that will end up happening again. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it's just interesting. Um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but at least I, I feel like the the Kraken could could use someone like this guy, even though they're doing pretty well right now. Yeah, and uh, regardless of whether or not they make the playoffs, they have a nice young forward core that, again, you know, their management is Shane Wright. While it's questionable, I think in the long term it is going to pay off, um, and you're going to look at a very solid top six. And I definitely think Ely Tolvanen can be part of that offense. Um, the the key is games played. Like, uh, Ely Tolvanen is no longer a prospect. You either keep him in the AHL or you use him in the NHL and you 
give him those chances to develop and grow, which I feel in a veteran Nashville lineup, sometimes he wasn't really given the chance to do so as often as he should have been. And part of that is because Nashville is in the position where their window to win is now. They're going for it. They can't really uh, sit back and wait for guys to just develop and score points. With Seattle, like, you got all the time in the world. Like, if you make the playoffs, you know, that's great. But your second team in your second year team in the league, you got all kinds of time to develop these players and give them these opportunities. Even if he makes mistakes, like, play Ilya Tolvanen for a 10 game stretch, give him as many top six chances to succeed, see what he does, and evaluate where you are then, make in game adjustments if you have to. But just give him the reps that you would give a top six forward and see how he uh, fits in that offense. And then you start to figure out, okay, it, does he have a role in this team? If so, what's his role? Where do we make? Where does he make sense now in terms of uh, first line, second line, third line, et cetera, and, and go from there. But if I'm Seattle, I don't make him healthy scratch. I play him. Yeah. Um, I, I would assume they're healthy scratching him just so that he can get acclimated with the team. Right. Like you know, kind of deal with the 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 practice squad, but yeah, I agree. I think it would be kind of a waste to not even play him. But I I'm not so concerned about it right now. I feel like eventually they'll 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 probably eventually play him sometime this week. Um, it's just like they're just trying to get him used to everything um, in their facility. I would imagine that would be the case, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly. Uh, this is, I, I think, I forget if we mentioned this on the show or not, but, uh, the, the Senator, there was one RFA that was not signed in this summer. Um, and that was Alex Formanton. Um, he was on that famous or not, well, infamous, I guess now, yeah. um, team, a 2018 Canada team. Um, and this is world juniors that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, sorry. I should have clarified. Um, and that had like a sexual assault case. It looks like there there's more news on that where they have evidence that they could, um, they could, uh, like you know, do stuff stuff with it. But um, it's that's just the momentary thing right now. But um, anyways, um, Alex Formanton was not signed by the Senators. He reached that deadline, um, and now he's playing in Switzerland. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, oh, okay, so I, I'm reading this tweet here. London police investigators say that they have reasonable grounds to believe that five members of the 2018 World Junior Hockey Team sexually assaulted a woman in a hotel room after a Hockey Canada fundraising gala. A recent court filing indicates. Um, and then the application lays out the case against each of the players. The evidence has not been tested in court and no changes have been laid the Globe and Mail obtained the documents from the Crown. Um, this is from Robin Doolittle, by the way. So I believe she's she's writes for the Globe and Mail. Uh, some sections of the file have been redacted, including the names of the hockey players, details of the sex acts, and the identities of the complainant. But it provides the fullest picture to date of what allegedly transpired in the early morning hours of June 19, 2018, which is when this uh, incident took place. Um, so yeah, she, he's, he signed with the Switzerland team. I, I imagine like that's why he 
like maybe Switzerland is more lenient on this type of stuff, and he was just one of those guys who, um, like you know, it's it's more like um, I don't, I don't want to say guilty, but um, like he's it's just maybe that was just a a reason why they didn't do anything about it, but where like teams were just hesitant to sign him, but um, yeah, he's he's uh, he's playing in Switzerland and and. We'll see uh, what happens in that case. Yeah, I uh, just uh, wanted to clarify, uh, the team that he signed with, I believe, made a disclosure that he was a part of that World Junior Team Canada squad in 2018 that is under uh, investigation for uh, sexual misconduct. Um, So they did put a disclaimer in the fact that they signed him. Uh, So what happens now is the December 1st deadline has passed. Alex Formanton is not eligible to play NHL hockey this season. He can, once he signs a contract down the road, he can still play in the NHL, but uh, I don't know if they're, uh, if it's, the NHL hasn't really said that he needs to be reinstated. Uh, it's nothing of that nature, but uh, the mm-hmm. rule is if you're not signed by December 1st, you can't play in the NHL this year. So for this year, he's playing in Switzerland. If the, NHL's Ottawa Senators still want him on their team. They'll sign him to a contract. He can play for the team. If he wants to play in a different market, the Sens will have to trade his rights away. The Sens hold his rights until he is eligible to become an unrestricted free agent. At the moment, he is not eligible to do so. So Ottawa still controls the next steps going forward if he wants to play NHL hockey. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I think that was the case even if he didn't sign with Switzerland, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, just, I would just want to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. No, fair. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that we'll we'll update you guys when we hear more information about this situation. Of course, it's it's tough to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. On that note, uh, let's move on. Um, we have so um, in inspiration last week. Um, we talked about Tage Thompson, and he had a, an incredible five-goal night. I I mentioned how um, I was really wrong about him, and I um, and you know we, we talked about how good he has been. Um, and I had faith it would pay off, yeah, just yeah. so you know. But be, I, yeah. I did I no, did on record. the fact you're, that it could blow up in Buffalo's face. You're a, you're on record. Yeah, you were more. You were more accepting that, that this this contract could work out. I was less, I was more skeptical of it. But um, I I did want to admit when I was wrong. Uh, similarly, I've I admitted when I was wrong about Martin Jones, um, and that just got me to thinking. Um, okay, let's let's like see if like there's another player which I I don't want to spoil it right now. But uh, there's another player that I was wrong about. Um, and so I wanted to talk about like why I was wrong about. It. So uh, Steve and I made uh, we had two two questions here of what were we right about in the off season and what were we wrong about um, in the off season, and then we'll discuss on if it's going to continue because um, we're gonna pat ourselves on the back and then we're also gonna give ourselves a little kick, I guess, as well uh, simultaneously. Yeah. So we're not gonna like. I mean, I guess we're jinxing it, but we're also, like, reverse jinxing it, too, at the same time. 
Um, so yeah, the podcast jinx anyway. works both ways. Yeah. I think. Speaking of which, um, so we're gonna start off with what Brett is right about, and I've been trying really, really hard to be um, to not talk about the Bruins a ton because I I don't want to jinx them. Um, I've been. Just trying to, like, you know, lay low, be like, you know, yeah, the Bruins are the best team in the league right now, but, you know, not a big deal or anything like that. But, um, it is a pretty big deal, and I I was trying to think of, like, what other things that I was actually right about that I could talk about. There was, you know, Jason Robertson, we've already talked about him. Uh, we have this unwritten rule in this episode that we can't talk about uh, teams or players that we already talked about, so... Yeah, uh, it's only fair. Yeah, it's keep, only keep, fair. Keep it, uh, keep it so that we're not totally biased towards one team. Yes, and we also, yeah, exactly, and we. Tr- but if they make headlines in a trade, well, yeah, then yeah. you know we can't do anything about that. We got to. Yeah, react, well, so we used to have different. a we used to have a segment where we talked about the Bruins and the Sens um, towards the end of the episode. Um, yes. And we we just did that, and then we started to realize like, okay, that was taking too long. Um, and then (laughs) we decided to, um, only talk about them when they make news. Um, and, um, and then there's also like just the aspect of like, personally, I just don't want to, I feel like if I talk about how good they're doing, I feel like I'm just going to be jinxing them. So, um, however, I just couldn't find another thing that I was also right about that I could talk about. I guess I could talk about, like, Jason Robertson and Tyler Sagan being back, but we've already talked about the Stars a couple weeks ago, so the Devils with Nico Heischer as well. Um, but, um, but yeah, I I do want to mention that uh, I was right about past David Pasternak and David, David Krejci in particular. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll get into uh, Pasternak in a second, but... I think I wanted to get into Krejci for uh, first, just because I think when when the Bruins originally, I think the reason why a lot of people were skeptical of the Bruins um, this off season, and me included, was yes, you lose Bruce Cassidy, but then you think like, okay, we weren't sure if Bergeron was going to still be on the team. You lose Krejci last year. It seems like Pasternak is unhappy with the entire organization because of how Sweeney handled um, David Krejci leaving and how he handled Tory Krug moving on. And then in like August, David Krejci signs with the Bruins, and um, and then that's kind of like you know that gives another risk factor. But I was on the I I think if you look back, I was kind of saying like okay, like, you know, David Krejci actually is pretty good. Um, he, like, yeah, he, he left the NHL um, to go to Chechia, but it wasn't because of his talent. Um, it was because he was, you know, he wanted to play um, in Chechia for a year. He probably also wanted to play in the Olympics, which he got to do. Um, he, was, uh, he had 46 points in 51 games in the Chechia League. Um, which is which is pretty good, um, and then um, and then when you sign him um, in the Bruins, you're thinking like, okay, um, you know, this is probably a way to get Pasternak Pasta like happy because there was like that theory that Pasta misses David Krejci, 
and they want and they were on this and Krejci had made references on a radio show that he wanted um, he was surprised that Cassidy in his last year split Pasternak up with Bergeron and Marchand um, because he uh, Cassidy never did that um, when Krejci was there and he wanted to play with his fellow checkmate uh, no pun intended but pun intended um, and um, that so far uh, Pasternak and Krejci are on the same line and they're incredible together uh, 23 points in 25 games for uh, David Krejci Pasternak I was just in the middle of looking at his stats I know he had his 20th goal um, yesterday um, he has uh, 42 points in 30 games um, and uh, and they also play with another Czech mate um, Pavel Zaka I feel like we should call that line the Czech mate line or something like that but yeah so the Czech somebody line trademark that and give us credit please yeah exactly um, and um, yeah it's, it's, it's incredible and uh, Pasternak has I was also saying how um, in terms of going back to Pasternak, I was saying how I was surprised that, um, like, cause when I put in some money over for the early on in the year, I had wanted, um, I, I wanted, uh, to put money in on Pasternak cause it was pretty low, uh, for the Rocket Richard. Um, and yeah, it turns out that he has been doing pretty well um, in that in that case. I'm just, just stalling here just a second, just uh, temporarily because I'm trying to get to a, a place to find the the points because uh, he is I think he's fourth in goals um, in the lead right now. I don't know if you have stats right here with you. Uh, is this uh, David Krejci or David Pasternak? I'm looking at Pasternak. Hold on. Oh, I have it here. David Pasternak. Okay. Okay. He has um, he has 20 goals. He's tied with Ovechkin, uh, but he is, uh, yeah, okay. He's he's in the top 10 in, in goals, but um, but he had 20, Connor McDavid has 28. He has 20. It should be mentioned in the couple weeks of the season, sorry, Brad, to, to yeah, interject. Fine. In the first couple weeks of the season, he was, I think, like yeah, first, was in second, the top third four. in yeah. the overall scoring by NHL players. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So very hot start. Very hot start. Yeah, he is also uh, sixth in points right now. Um, yeah, so, so still pretty good. So still, yeah, still pretty good. But yes, you're right. He was even hotter a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, and yeah, I think that was also to be expected just because of like this is his contract year. Um, but I, I think this was kind of like, you know, there were some people who are a little bit skeptical of how much of an effect David Krejci would be. Um, would pass like we all had thought that the Bruins would kind of slip down and I'm you know I I, know, I didn't even think Krejci would be this good um, neither did I and to be honest I like I love David Krejci he's one of the most underrated players even b- before he went to Chechia um, but um, uh, yeah I didn't expect that but especially since like when you think of the the Bruins you have Taylor Hall um, on your team, and so you would think that the top six would be uh, some form of DeBrusque, Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak, Krejci, and Taylor Hall. But instead of Taylor, 
which is, you know, five of those six are true. Taylor Hall is actually not on any of those lines. He's actually on the third line. Um, so it's incredible that the Bruins are still doing well. And Taylor Hall is also doing really well, too. Um, so, um, yeah, I noticed he has a little yeah. bit of a four-game point streak going, I think. That, too, yeah. Yeah, and Jake DeBrusque has been incredible, too. Um, so Yeah, him, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, Those I, are three guys you just named, yeah. Krejci, DeBrusque, and Hall, who yeah. I think are the main reasons why Boston is as good as they are right now. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think there was something to the fact that, well, first off, Jim Montgomery was a good coach or is a good coach uh, from the time in yeah. Dallas. And so, like, this was a good thing. Um, and, um, you, you know, it's not like, you know, I think the big concern for me was – over the summer was like oh, okay so who's going to be the centers for the Bruins and um and you know like there was no doubt that like the and like also Marshawn and McAvoy were injured uh but they yeah. recovered sooner than we thought so that was another factor that a lot of people were saying mm -hmm. like okay the Bruins aren't going to be as good um so that there's that having said all that I didn't <laughs> I didn't expect the Bruins to be this good um and um, so it's like, you know, I'm loving this fact that they are, they've, they're off to a really hot start. Um, but, um, but in terms of like, if I think that this team will continue to be this hot, um, yes, I think they will continue to make, like they will make the playoffs, but like they would have to go on a huge slide if they, if they were to miss the playoffs at this point, I feel like. But, um, but yeah, so I, I think they'll make the playoffs. I'm not, I feel like eventually it's going to catch up to them eventually. Um, but, but I think like a big reason why, as you were saying, is like the addition of the, like DeBrusque and Krejci, clearly they just didn't get along with Cassidy and they're just like a different player now, um, without Cassidy. Um, and then, um. And then, of course, you have McAvoy and Marshawn uh, playing um, earlier than they, their arrival return time was. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there is that element as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think that they'll be this good towards the end. Um, but, of course, I, I love to see what they're doing. Um, and I hope it continues, but I, I think there's, like... I don't know. I feel I, like I, I don't want them to be like the Florida Panthers of last year where they're just like this hot or like for the entire season. And then uh, and then they um, then they lose in the first round of the playoffs. So so I'm just trying to like measure my expectations and, and hoping that this uh, this isn't for real. But I can't say I haven't enjoyed it um, at the moment. <laughs> so um, so, yeah. It's um it's good, but I yeah I I think they'll they'll taper off a little bit, but not too much to to lose the playoffs. Yeah, so taking a look at their basic stats, they're twenty four four and two, which is good enough for tops in the league by five points over the Vegas Golden Knights at the time of this recording. They have one hundred and fourteen goals, which is uh, less than the Dallas Stars by two goals. Uh, oddly enough, Montgomery's former team and. Uh, it's also one goal fewer than the Edmonton Oilers. They have McDavid and Tricetal having career years, no big deal. And then the Buffalo Sabres, for some reason, have 123. Yeah. So, yeah, 
outside of pure randomness and uh, just generational offense, um, outside of those two circumstances, uh, the Bruins are the best offense in the league, and they definitely have the best goal differential in the league. They're plus 50, which, to your point about Florida, they had a wicked goal differential as well. I don't expect Boston to continue to have that type of goal differential, but I do think... Um, you know, like it can be plus 50 or so consistently once the season ends, uh, plus 50, plus 60, plus 70 around there. But I don't think it gets to like near plus 100 territory like it was for Florida. The good thing that's working for Boston is the special teams on the power play. They're 29% penalty kill at 84.6%. And the one thing that they also do a good job of not just giving up goals because Olmark and Swayman have both been good, mostly Olmark. Uh, but uh, they don't give up too many shots. 28.8 shots against per game compared to 35.1 shots for per game. You're going to win a lot more games than you lose with numbers like that. So um, overall, I do think Boston is going to regress, and I don't think they're going to win the Atlantic division, but I think they'll be a solid number two, at worst a solid number three C, because I do expect Tampa and Toronto to continue to climb the ranks a little bit. But uh, Boston is going to be a tough out in these playoffs, regardless of where they finish. Yeah, for sure. Um, Which at the season, I I questioned if they were going to make the playoffs at all, to be honest. Yeah, that's true, yeah. I was higher on them, I think. Let me look back. I think I had them in the playoffs. Yeah, I had them at the yeah. wild card. I had them at the, as a wild card, so um, technically I was right. Uh, what has been surprising, though, and that I didn't expect as well, and we, we talked a little bit about this early on in the season, but... Ulmark is still carrying the load for the goalies. And Jeremy Swayman, although, to be fair, he was injured for a little bit of um, the season, but uh, he has come back. He has an 895 save percentage and a GAA of 2.72. Yeah, his GAA isn't bad. And, you know, his win-loss is 6-3-1, so, of course, that's not bad. But he hasn't been great, I would say, um, to what I expected of him. But... Um, but yeah, Old Mark has been incredible. So that's the that's the one thing that I'm kind of surprised about, and I'm I'm kind of curious to see what the Bruins do uh, with Jeremy Swayman because I I feel like he hasn't been a hundred percent this entire season. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> if, as long as he's winning and as long as the Bruins are winning, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, you look at Carter Hart and the struggles that he's had on and off throughout his NHL career, his meteoric rise, and then his meteoric downfall, and then his return to rise, and then his uh, slight regression because people remember the Flyers are bad defensively and they're bad as a team. But, um, you know, if there's a time for Jeremy Swayman to struggle and to reevaluate his game and figure things out a little bit. Like now's the perfect time when your team's winning in spite of your struggles, as opposed to, you know, a situation where the team free falls and you're struggling. So I do think down the road within the next couple of years, Jeremy Swayman is going to be better off for it. He's going to be the guy and uh, Linus Olmark towards uh, the later stage of his contract uh, might not be with the Boston Bruins because they trust Jeremy Swayman that much. Um, but uh, I do think that this will be Allmark's team this year. In the grand scheme of things, when the playoffs start, barring injury, he's the guy they're turning to. Yeah, no, I think that's that's totally fair. Um, and I think it's also one of those things where this league is more reliant on like tandem goalies. So I think that's just going to be the nature of this team for the next couple of seasons. Uh, but yes, I do agree with you that I think like if 
if he is going to struggle, it's good that he's doing it on a team that's doing well. I mean, it's not like, and it's not like you can do like a Shane Wright type situation where you can send him down, um, yeah, uh, down to Providence because he would be <laughs> he would be picked up, claimed on waivers, yeah, um, if if you were to do that. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's like unfortunate that like it would be good if he just went to Providence and got his confidence back up, but, um, but yeah, I, I feel like you're right that. He, he just he'll he'll figure it out it's just might take some time um yeah. all right let's go to what you were right about um steve about the season so far yeah um and i called it at the trade deadline and uh towards uh, the start of free agency uh watch out for brandon hagel because uh this guy put up those numbers in chicago and now that he's gonna be on tampa bay he's gonna kill it uh, it took a bit of time for that to happen right away when Tampa got him. They gave up two first-round picks to get his services, so they obviously thought very highly of him. Um, and to take a gander as to what his stats were like uh, last season, uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks, um, considering where the team was, he was putting up pretty good numbers for them. Uh, then he goes to Tampa Bay, and in the final quarter of the season, after the trade deadline, uh, that's where things start to get a little bit hairy, and uh, he puts up a total of seven points in his final 21 games, four of which were goals. Uh, four goals on 30 shots, so a low shooting percentage as well. And he wasn't even averaging 14 minutes. He was averaging 13.43 per game, barely any power play time. When you compare that to Chicago, he was averaging 242 in of power play time in the third quarter, 18.23 per game. His ice time was steadily increasing throughout the year. And in his final quarter with Chicago, 15 points, 10 of them goals in 19 games. So you could start to see in a top six role what he could do. But then when that uh, top six opportunity uh didn't arise in Tampa right away it started to suffer in the numbers he had a decent playoffs as well he started to pick it up a little bit but then I looked at Tampa's free agency situation and Andre Palat becoming a free agent and I went you know what Tampa Bay as we all know is fighting the salary cap I don't think there's a guarantee they keep Andre Palat and Brandon Hagel is going to get a bigger role on the team next year and he's gonna have more consistent stretches of top six ice time and sure enough that's exactly what you're seeing in the first 21 games this year he averaged 1840 in all situations per game uh, 218 on the power play he had five power play points 43 shots on goal and in those 21 games seven goals 10 assists for a total of 17 points so a near point per game pace he's getting power play results as well uh, in his first nine games of quarter two, he has exactly a point a game, five goals, four assists for nine points in those nine games. He's taken 15 shots, so five divided by 15 is 33.3 uh, shooting percentage. I'd say that's pretty good. Uh, he's averaged 310 per game on the power play and 1856 across all situations per game in quarter two so far. And then... Uh, Oh, who are his line mates? Nikita Kucherov, who is a top 10 scorer in the league, yep. uh, and Braden Point, who has returned to a point per game at uh, the NHL level uh, after battling through injuries and struggles uh, last year. He's also been paired with Nick Paul, who's had a pretty hot start in his own right. 
and also a bit of time with Anthony Sorelli, who uh, is a point-per-game player or close to that uh, after coming off the injured reserve. I think he's played like seven or eight games, and he's looked pretty good. Not that much of a goal-scoring machine, but he's racking up the assists. He's getting points. Um, and so despite all of um, the guys he's been paired with, his most common linemates are Cooch, Robin, Point. Uh, when you look at the line combinations and what that line has done, the line of Kucherov, Point, and Hagel, 21 goals for, 13 goals against. That's a plus eight goal differential. Uh, 170 shots for, 148 shots against. Uh, so the eye test looks pretty good. Uh, and on the season, uh, with nine points in his last five, he has 26 points, 12 of them goals in 30 games. His shooting percentage is 20, which is the same as last year. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, he's taken far less shots uh, this year than last year, but uh, he's currently on pace for 141 shots on goal across a full 82-game season. Um, or actually, no, that's a three-year average. I'm mistaken. Uh, on pace for 71 points in 82 games, that's much better. Um, and yeah, I, I, I would say a guy like Brandon Hagel is going to continue to get those opportunities for one reason and one reason only, and that's his cap-friendly contract. $1.5 million this season and next season, that's his cap hit. And then after that, he becomes an RFA. So, this, so the Tampa Bay Lightning still control his rights at that point. He's not going to hit the open market and be willing to sign with any team. So if they can't afford to pay him, well, then they can just trade him for you know, cheaper alternatives that they can use uh, to fill out the rest of the holes on their roster. And uh, Brandon Hagel is going to be a very valuable commodity when you consider, again, that the Eric Cernak contract extension is going to kick in next year. Same thing with Mikhail Sergachev, same thing with Anthony Sorelli. And that $1.5 million cap of Brandon Hagel's is going to look extra, extra valuable next year, even more so this year. Um, so look for him to continue to get more chances. He'll continue to pile up the points. And in the playoffs, he's going to be expected to carry the offensive load for Tampa Bay, not just the usual suspects like Stamkos and Kucherov. Uh, Brandon Hagel is a key part of this offense, and I doubt that changes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was skeptical of the Brandon Hagel trade as well when it happened, mostly just because it's like they gave up a first-round pick for him. Um, and I felt like Brandon Hagel, like, although he did have a decent season for Chicago that year, I was just thinking, like, I don't know if I would spend a first-round pick. But then, on the other hand, I was thinking, like, well, this is Tampa. They, they're, like, they're an exception to the rule in most cases. And, it, yeah, you're right. So far, that is what's happening. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think I agree with you. I feel like, um, yeah, that, like, if he is going to be given top six minutes – Especially with Stamkos and Kucherov, he's going to uh, he's going to be good because those are good players to be around. Um, so so yeah, he is a good player. I am I don't know. I I'm still not fully convinced yet, but um, but yeah, he is looking good, and it's hard to say like you know to be a a hater on on Brandon Hagel so far just yet. The, the fact that he was doing a lot of good with Chicago yeah. despite reduced ice time or limited ice time, I should say, 
um, is is what intrigued me so much. Last year, he yeah. had 44 points, 25 goals in 77 games with Chicago and Tampa, and his average ice time was 16-21. Granted, uh, a lot of that was due to the fact that in the fourth quarter with Tampa, he wasn't averaging that much. But even still, with Chicago, he wasn't getting like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze type of minutes per game. Right. Uh, But whenever he did hit the ice, he was productive in a variety of ways. So that's that's what gave me hope that he could be a solid top six guy. I seem to remember that he was Patrick Kane's line mate for a bit, but you might be right. Yes, he, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he doesn't. He didn't have a ton of ice time as I'm looking here. So he was also Chicago. only a minus 18, which, when you consider yeah. how bad Chicago's defense was, I feel like that's well, decent. He ended up getting okay. So I am looking here. He did end up getting 17 minutes of ice time in Chicago uh, his last year. So is, yeah, um, and he had 37 points in 55 games, but. Um, yeah, I mean, like, when you look at his stats, there was stuff there. I just, I, I don't know if he's worth a first-round pick. I still don't think he's worth a first-round pick. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, mean, I was also look, looking at his playoff stats that year, um, or last year. Um, in the playoffs, he had six points in 23 games. He didn't really make the difference in Tampa, but, of course, Tampa still ended up making the Stanley Cup Finals that year. So, yeah. Um, so I, uh, he contributed to some extent, but still, I feel like you would expect more if you're going to trade your first round pick for them. Of course, Tampa, like that that pick would be the thirty first pick anyways. So it's like you're not really trading a whole lot anyways. But um, I feel like you still would expect more from that. But yeah, I guess you'll you can take credit twenty six points in thirty games right now. Give it more ice time in, this year. Um, yeah, he's. He's certainly doing well and earning well, that. Well, just right the now. fact that it's, it's Tampa Bay and, like, yeah. they've had a good eye for scouting, like, of in course, the Eisenman yeah. years. And even when he left, they've had a good eye oh, for yeah. scouting. Like, a, a guy like Tyler Johnson, like, when he was just uh, starting his career with the Tampa Bay Lightning, yeah. who would have really expected much of him? True. And, you know, he turns out to be a valuable contributor for years and years and years in Tampa yeah. Bay. So uh, they they obviously have a, a keen eye for guys that can fit into their lineup. And yep. and Nick Paul is, is, an, is another example. Yeah, like, we figured, like, he would be, like, a good bottom six penalty-killing forward. But in terms of goal scoring, there is a ceiling. Right. And he's probably going to be pushing 30 goals at this rate. Yeah, no, yeah Nick Paul's another good one. That's a good point. Yeah, no, uh, Tampa's like the cl- a class organization. It's one that, it's an organization that every team wants to be and uh, not a lot are, because uh, they do everything well. They, they scout well, their on-ice product is really good, um, and yeah, their, their trade acquisitions are also really good too. Um, and they've been doing this for like a, at least a decade now. So, which is which is shocking when you consider that 15 years ago they were the furthest thing from yeah. the team you wanted to model your team after. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're there right. were there were some dark times before those good times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now we get to team uh, things that we were wrong about, um, and we're going back to the uh, the Atlantic Division here. Um, and uh, I'm gonna. I mean, so I, I did quickly mention Tage Thompson. But another factoid that I like, I realized I should probably swallow my words a little bit was Matt Murray. Um, I was right t- about this too, by the way. Just saying, I predicted yeah, he would get yeah. more wins than Jack Campbell yeah. this year. Good on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you, you predicted that too. Um, I, um, I I thought that. I mean, yeah, I don't even know what's going on with Jack Campbell. That's like a whole other episode. 
Uh, Dealing but, with the Oilers' defense <laughs> is part of it. Yeah, partially, but, I mean, Stuart Skinner hasn't been bad. Yeah, uh, so, you're not wrong. Um, anyways, uh, back on topic here. Yeah, so uh, just to remind everyone of the trade, um, on July 11th, uh, the Senators traded Matt Murray, a 2023 third-round pick and a 2024 seventh-round pick um, to Toronto, and Ottawa just gets future considerations um, he hasn't played a game yet, future considerations, but uh, I hear, I hear yeah, he's pretty good. It's, it's a thing called cap space. They used it to get Cam Talbot from Minnesota. Yeah, I know. I was making a joke, but uh, but yes. You're, also, <laughs> the fact that they added assets on yeah. top of that for future considerations yeah. tells you, hey, we'll just sweeten some things just so you can eat the majority right. of his contract. We'll yeah. even take on some of that contract on top of that. It's also like a rarity, like trade like ottawa and toronto trading with with each other it's a lot like if boston and montreal traded with each other or like if yeah it, it was rare trades. before the dion yeah. trade before the dion oh, yeah, right, trade too. it was a shocker if they ever made a big splash but yeah. since then you've had the cody cc connor brown nikita yeah. zeitz of swap and yeah, uh, now fair. this trade too yeah that's a good point i had forgotten about that one as well but yeah I, I feel like it's it's a little bit different just from the standpoint that like ottawa is a rebuilding team whereas toronto is a contending team um and so it's a little d different from that but yeah it's, it really happens where division rival teams especially one that has rich history like that um they traded with each other but i guess these teams were past that um you know i guess a lot of the players and uh, management people are have left that team, so it's it's not like there's bad blood between between those franchises anymore. Anyways, um, but anyways, back to Matt Murray. Um, yeah, it, at the time I was confused by this because I was like, you know, not that. I mean, Jack Campbell was pretty good in the first half of last season, um, and then he got injured, um, and you know he couldn't play for the rest of the year. Um, and I was just confused, like, why? Because, like, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have paid him five years, five million either, but I thought, like, it had to be better than Matt Murray because uh, Matt Murray had um, a terrible year, um, an even worse year than Jack Campbell is currently having. Uh, last The last year he had for Ottawa was um, he had a 3.05 GAA and a save percentage of 906. Um, and he went 5-12-2. Uh, to be fair, that's a low, uh, small sample size. Um, he played in 20 games, um, so he was injured for the most part. Um, and um, and then there was, like, you know, they also, uh, they didn't get, uh, you know, they it made sense to not have Peter Morazic. They signed Ilya Samsonov, which I kind of, like, you know, S Samsonov, like, was struggling in his last year in Washington. But I could understand that because, you know, he was decent even two years ago. Uh, whereas, like, Matt Murray, he wasn't, this was the, um, the last two years of what, just basically his time in Ottawa, he was not good at all. Um, so, so I was just confused as to why they, Toronto would do this, where it's like, okay, so, like, I get not having Peter Morazic. Um, I kind of understand why they wouldn't get Jack Campbell, but I don't think, like, if they're expecting Matt Murray to be the Stanley Cup winning goaltender, especially when this is, like, their biggest weakness is their goaltending, like, 
why why get Matt Murray uh, just in the hope that he's going to turn back the clock and, and be what we expected of him um, when he won those Stanley Cup uh, goals and that was like purely why they were doing that. Also there was like a connection with Dubas and Matt Murray. They were uh, Matt Murray was the goalie of um, you're going to have to remind me here but the uh, Sue Greyhounds Sue baby. Greyhounds, yeah. Uh, where like uh, Matt Murray just like takes from the Sioux Greyhounds, like he, like he, Matt Murray isn't the only alum from the Sioux Greyhounds on the team, right? Yeah, Connor Timmons, they recently Connor picked Timmons up. I think Jake Muzzin is also a Sioux okay. Greyhounds alumni. There are probably some other ones, but those are the three that come to mind right off got the it, bat when it. I think of the least. But yeah, uh, so far, of course, this is a low, a small sample size as well, and Matt Murray was injured for like the first two weeks of the year. Uh, but uh, he is 7-2-2. Two two. Uh, he has a 9-24 save percentage and a GAA of 2.46 so far, uh, which is, which is I, th- I would say that's pretty good. Um, and, um, and then Samsonov has, even, Samsonov has been even better. He has a 9-3-0 uh, record and a 9-29 save percentage and a GAA of 1.98. Um, but I, w- I was more optimistic about Samsonov than I was on Murray. Um, mostly and mostly because I was just thinking, like, okay, he wasn't... Like, I feel like there was something that was going wrong with him in Ottawa. Um, and, like, you know, whatever he had in Pittsburgh, it's not there anymore. He just lost it. Also, he was, like, dealing with his the death of his dad. Um, and I thought, like, maybe there's some, like, psychological thing. So I, d- I just didn't think that he would be back. Also, he's dealing with injuries and all that stuff. So I was just thinking, like, okay, I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to see the Matt Murray of the Stanley Cup team again. Um, it was just a lot for, to, like, a lot of pressure for, for Matt Murray to deal with, especially when he's like, you know, for Toronto, it's probably, it's not, not probably, it is the hardest place to play um, in the NHL, uh, just from like a media standpoint and a fan standpoint. So once he struggles it's going to be like toast for him and it's just going to be a disaster. Um, so far that hasn't happened yet. Uh, granted, um, he could still get injured. Um, that would be a concern. And it's like, you know, you still never know with goalies. They're always inconsistent. There's like, other than, you know, Vasilevsky, like pretty much every goalie is inconsistent in this league. So, um, so it's like, you know, you still want to see, I still want to see him play this full season, and of course, it's going to really matter when we see him in the playoffs um, and what's going to happen. But even if still, like, you know, you have Sam Sonoff, who's also been pretty good too and has had a bounce back in his own way as well, that, like, if Matt, let's say Matt Murray does struggle in the playoffs, then you can put in Sam Sonoff in, and Sam Sonoff might also do pretty well. So, uh, so you can kind of like, you know, maybe there is something smart going on with Kyle Dubas, and there's a reason why I am not an NHL GM. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I guess um, I, I, I'm happy for Matt Murray um, so far, at the very least. I'm, I'm still, like, cautiously optimistic about it, though. Yeah. You know, I get the cautious optimism, uh, yeah. and I can also get and understand the doubts of yeah. why the heck would the Leafs trade for Matt Murray, yeah. uh, even if they gave up nothing to get him. Right. Uh, they still have to pay a lot of money to Matt Murray. And I think the big thing with Matt Murray and 
going with him over paying Jack Campbell is because Jack Campbell wanted the term that the Leafs probably weren't going to give him. He got five years in Edmonton because of the cap situation, given the fact that they're going to have to deal with Austin Matthews and free agency down the road and John Tavares and Mitch Marner and William Nylander, that if they committed long-term to Matt Murray, that could bite them when it comes to uh, deciding, you know, who do we keep out of these four guys? Uh, with Matt Murray, you have this year, you have next year, and then you decide where you go from there. So for the sake of term and uh, keeping the budget uh, somewhat sustainable, um, going with Matt Murray over Jack Campbell seemed like the right thing to do in the minds of the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time. Now, at the time, Matt Murray was a goalie that was going through a lot of things. He battled COVID like a lot of the Sens did during that big outbreak around this time last year. It was uh, November, I believe, when that happened. Um, and his play probably suffered as a result of that. Um, there were also stretches where he came back, he played well, then he got hurt again, then he came back and played well and then got hurt again so the on and off injuries which also took a toll on him in pittsburgh uh, also didn't help and i feel like that four-year contract uh, that he got with the ottawa senators at that price tag 6.25 million 6.5 million a big big amount of dollars to matt murray i feel like at that point he felt like you know like i'm good like they'll they'll be patient with me they're paying a lot of money they're they're gonna trust that i'll figure it out and i got nothing to worry about but then a funny thing happened in front of that defense that matt murray struggled in front of anton forsberg put up better results than matt murray and uh then ottawa's summer of dorian happened and matt murray wasn't in the cards and he got traded to the toronto maple leafs uh so in that sense things weren't looking good for murray but I still felt that he could turn things around because A, he knows Kyle Dubas, and B, one thing that he said in his press conference, his introduction to the Toronto media is these guys, the management, the, st uh, the coaching staff, everyone in between all that, he said, they know what makes me tick, they know how to push me, and I feel very confident going into this year. And when I heard that, I'm thinking, you know what? A bounce back year in the regular season wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Forget playoffs. Playoffs are playoffs. We'll see what happens there. But I still think Matt Murray is a good regular season goaltender that can get to a 31 caliber again. And I think he can do it this year, assuming, of course, he stays healthy. Um, but this start doesn't really surprise me in the sense that he knows a lot of the guys in Toronto and, and he knows what works and what doesn't and they know what works and what doesn't. And also the fact that I think he's in the right structure. The Leafs have shut down experts like TJ Brody, Jake Muzzin when healthy and playing, I think is that guy as well. They also have Morgan Riley. They have some young budding superstars on defense as well. Uh, Rasmus St. Dean's starting to come into his own. Uh, they have Connor Timmons in the picture now. They have uh, Timothy Lilligren as well. Uh, Justin Hall, given the amount of uh, crap posting that we've uh, yeah. put on that guy over the years, and Steve Dangle has probably piled on to that, 
you know, I was watching some Steve Dangle live streams during Hockey Night in Canada, and he said, you know what, Justin Hall's look good. Yeah. So, you know, even Justin Hall's looking good on the Leafs blue line. Yeah. So I think a combination of the right structure in front of Matt Murray, the right people surrounding him, I think has led to this bounce back season. And if you wanted proof as to whether or not it wasn't a fluke, the first game didn't start off well. The entry in practice uh, added salt to the wound. But in his first game back against Pittsburgh, his old team, he stops 35 of 37. Then he stops 30 of 33 against a New Jersey Devils team that, um, you know, went on that epic win streak and they ended up besting him that night. But uh, he bounces back 32-34 against Buffalo. Uh, that was a win. He yeah. then beats the Devils after stopping 34 of uh, 35. He has a 42-state performance against the Red Wings, which was also a win. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, he had a 44-safe shutout against Dallas. So um, he's giving the Toronto Maple Leafs chances to win. At times, he's given up some suspect goals, but that hasn't defined his season and... I don't think it's going to define his season this year. And I and I definitely think uh, that this Matt Murray is here to stay beyond this year, in fact. Um, and it, I think part of it is going to hinge on the guy behind him because it could easily fall apart if there's not a guy behind him ready to take the reins in net if he struggles. Uh, and the Leafs have been fortunate to have a guy like Ilya Samsonov that whether Matt Murray has struggled, injured, whatever, he's been able to pick up the ball and run with it just as much as Murray has. And I think that's going to be key for the Leafs moving forward. I think the 1A, 1B system is what's best for Matt Murray. And I don't think he's a standalone number one goalie in this league, but he can be successful under the right formula. Yeah, that is a good point, too. I mean, we talked about this when we were just talking about the Bruins. Of like, I feel like this league is, or more teams are embracing that tandem style um, instead of just having that one goalie um, to to rule them all type of, type of situation. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I think that, that is also a good point that maybe there's like less pressure on Matt Murray when you do have a guy like Sam Sonoff who is equally as capable and also dealing with his own um, comeback, um, you know, perseverance type type yeah. movement. Yeah, and I said so. during uh, the offseason yep. that uh, the Leafs had uh, probably the biggest bargain in the free agency period when they yep. signed Michael Bunting. And when they signed Elias Samsonov, I said, we could have a repeat on our hands. This yep. could be the biggest bargain signing. And yeah. Uh, I th I think it's proving to be at this point too. Yeah, to be fair, I was I was less critical of Samsonov signing. Um, I thought that was something where I could see it. Um, mm -hmm. Matt Murray, I I wasn't sure about. Like, I know it's it's tough to really be like unsure of like a a, a goaltender who just won back to back Stanley Cups, um, in recent memory. But it was just more like okay, I, I feel like Matt Murray is done. Um, yeah, and it it turns out he's not. So we'll see. Um, and yeah, you also bring up a good point too, where it's like the defense um, has been better, even when Morgan Riley's out long term, and so is Jake Muzzin. So it's like you know, guys like Justin Hall have stepped up, Lilligren, Sandine have all stepped up, Connor Timmins, who they just got in um, in a trade, um, they've all uh, like they've all like increased their development, and um, that can only help them as well. So. Which is something that even Ottawa 
doesn't have. Um, so, so maybe there is that element too of like just they have a better defense ahead of Murray and that can make all the difference. Um, okay, now it's time for you to talk about what you were wrong about. What, who was your person? Yeah, well, I thought uh, getting him at a one-year, $7 million contract, I thought the Anaheim Ducks were making a pretty wise investment when they signed John Klingberg. Just because of how that team improved and started to come together, uh, Adam Henrique, the bounce-back season he had, Trevor Segris taking the lead by storm, Troy Terry taking the lead by storm. Uh, you had Sonny Milano, who wasn't brought back, but uh, in the games that he played, looked like there was potential there as well uh, you know cam fowler was still on that blue line kevin shattenkirk is a veteran presence on that blue line uh, i i felt like the ducks would be a perfect landing spot for john klingberg to even just tear it up and get traded to a contender um, i thought that was a possibility but individually i thought it was going to be a terrific season for klingberg um, and then I remembered the Anaheim Ducks don't have much of a defense and I have trust issues with Dallas Akins as coach and uh, it's all gone wrong to start the year. And his numbers, unfortunately, have reflected that. His uh, top partner, defensive partner, is Dmitry Kulikov. Uh, he's played 31.7% of his time with Kulikov, 156 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, in that span, the Ducks have given up 13 goals against compared to seven goals for. So that's a minus six uh, for Klingberg with that pairing on the ice. 62 shots, 409 shots against. That's a big thing, the, the shot differential. Um, and then you look at the next uh, closest pairing in terms of ice time played. Uh, not far behind Klingberg and Kulikov, it's actually uh, Cam Fowler and John Klingberg. So we're talking about defense pairings with John Klingberg individually. 31.7% uh, of the time he's been paired with Cam Fowler. Five goals for, eight goals against, so that's a minus three goal differential. Uh, 80 shots for, 99 shots against, so a little bit better in the shots for, shots against department, but still not great. Uh, and then when he has played 122 minutes and four seconds with Simon Benwell, before you ask who, good question. Uh, three goals for, six goals against, so minus three goal differential, 48 shots for, 74 shots against with that tandem on the ice. Uh, he's also been paired with uh, Nathan Bolio, Colton White, uh, Urho Vakaninen, former Boston Bruin, Brett uh, knows yep. him well. He's also been paired with uh, Kevin Shattenkirk for a little bit and uh, didn't really get to spend much time with Jamie Drysdale because Drysdale is hurt and he's probably going to be out for the balance of the season essentially uh so when you consider all of that it hasn't gone well in that department is plus minus uh last year also was trending in the wrong direction with dallas he was a minus 28 this year he's a minus 15 at the moment he has uh 11 goals 25 points or 11 points in 25 games i should say uh which is uh currently on pace for 36 in an 82 game season four of those points have been goals uh, brett was telling me was it he had a two goal game against the habs yep and then i think he scored against the oilers which again talking about poorest defenses those two teams um his shooting percentage has been good but he hasn't really taken too many shots so that doesn't really 
help his cause. Uh, four goals on 36 shots, so that's 11.1 shooting percentage. Uh, that's uh, the closest thing to his rookie season, and he had 11 goals on 98 shots then. Uh, in terms of time on ice, it's been steady around 22 minutes each of the past four years. Uh, his power play time has been 221 per game. So he's getting he's getting chances to do damage with this group, but it just hasn't worked out for him. Yeah, um, I mean, it, I guess the bright side, and you mentioned this because um, <clears throat> I was just thinking, like, I know it's only two games, um, but... But, the, like, the Ducks do look like a different team all of a sudden. I don't know if it's because uh, Lucas Dostal is now starting uh, for for them, and, those, and he was the starting goaltender for both those times. Um, but maybe there is something to that. Um, Dostal, he saved 46 shots on uh, against Edmonton, uh, incredibly. He gave up three goals, but, like, he was the main reason why the Ducks won that And night. now you see why the yeah. Ducks are losing more yeah. games than last year, probably. Exactly, yeah. Because they give up too many shots, no, no matter who's in yeah. the net. It doesn't have to be John Gibson now. It can be just any goalie that plays. Well, well so Gibson is injured, and so is Stolarz. But I... I yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just like, you know, I know it's incredible, it's only like two games, but I, I think there is something that's like, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like, just Jordan Bennington's rookie year here, where he, he comes in at the worst moment when like the Blues were the worst team, and then all of a sudden he starts to, starts winning games improbably, and, and then starts like, it's just like an incredulous run, um, and the rest is history, as they say. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, this, this, uh, John Klingberg situation is kind of reminding me of what happened with Taylor Hall on the Buffalo Sabres where, you know, and it kind of happened for the same motivation too. It's like, uh, you know, Hall signed with the Sabres for one year, kind of expecting that he would be traded by the middle of the year. Um, and like, you know, rack up the points and then, um, and then go to a contending team, um, because it was only a one-year deal, um, and then and then he does get traded, but it was like less than what the Sabers had expected because he wasn't good on the Sabers, um, and and all that stuff. So that's how like the Bruins were able to get Taylor Hall on a bargain. Um, but yeah, I think like the same could be said for John Klingberg. I think eventually he will get traded, um, but it might not be what the Ducks are expecting. Um, I think the true, the true reason why the Ducks are struggling is that uh, Dallas Eakins is not a good coach, um, and uh, he should. I like. I know that they they probably weren't going to make the playoffs anyways. I know they do have Zegris and Terry um, McTavish has been doing well too, but yeah. Um, but it's like you know, I I think we both understood that they weren't like they're like at best case scenario they would be a bubble team maybe make the wild card sneak it into the playoffs but that seemed very unlikely so it's like this is kind of to be expected for the ducks but like i think at this point that like it feels like it's it's not going well for any of this any of their star players like zegris and um terry and mctavish have been scoring a decent amount but I feel like it comes a time when it's like this, like just the fact that Dallas Eakins is the coach 
and he's hurting their development uh, comes into play. So I, I imagine that um, once once um, Eakins is out um, and Ed Pat Verveek gets his guy in, whoever that is, then the Ducks will be a better team um, and start playing at least a, a little bit better. Um, but, you know, just imagine this team with with Connor Bedard or with Adam Fantilli. Uh, that yeah. would be incredible. So so maybe that is there is that aspect of it, too, where it's like maybe they're just – they know that Dallas Egan's isn't the guy, and they're doing that. But, yeah, as for uh, John Klingberg, I don't know if it's going to get better. It is encouraging that he has – Well, it will when he gets moves because yeah, yeah, he's not so. staying in Anaheim for the whole year. I can but, tell you that much. But, you know, it's interesting because, like, when he was in Dallas last year, he, he wanted 8 by 8 um, and then, um, and then when the off season came, no team wanted that or wanted to give him that. So he just settled with, uh, he fired his agent and then he just settled yep. with Anaheim and you're thinking like, okay, so what he's doing is he's just waiting a year, uh, you know, putting up his stats in Anaheim, proving that he doesn't need the Dallas Stars system to, to do well. And the opposite happened really. So um, so yeah, I don't think any team is going to get him at eight by eight, and I don't think the Ducks are going to get a ton um, if they do trade him um, at the deadline. So it's it's going to be um, an interesting situation. Um, but yeah, I think you're right that once once a team he he probably will eventually get traded, but I don't think it's going to be like um, like a huge return for the Ducks uh, when when they do. Yeah, to give you an understanding of how bad the Ducks are, they're the only team, actually, no, the Chicago Blackhawks and them are the only teams without at least 10 wins. Chicago has seven, the Ducks have nine, yep. and the Ducks have played three more games than Chicago. I uh, also saw this, uh, even more incredible stat. Uh, they have yeah. The Ducks have three regular season wins, and two oh. of them were in their last two games. Yeah, yeah. and they've given up 133 goals for, which at the moment of this recording is 11 more than uh, tied for second worst Columbus and L.A. Uh, They have gone 15.9% out of 100 on the power play, 67.2% of 100 on the penalty kill, both egregiously bad. They've uh, allowed an average of 37 shots per game. They've been fortunate to near around 30 shots for per game which yeah good for them uh but yeah you you get the sense as a team it's not just john Klingberg that's struggling right. but even then i would have expected you know like in the neighborhood of like close to 20 points for Klingberg because you would have like he would be put in the prime situations of like zegris and terry and yeah. he would be at, at least putting up uh, some power play points even strength points but even that pep in the step of uh, Zegers and Terry, I haven't noticed it as much this year, which yeah. is is kind of tough. And I don't think, as you mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, Brett, I don't think there's really need to make a coaching change because at this rate, they're probably in the perfect line to get a top three pick. So yeah. why would you change anything until the end of the year? So you yeah. just hope that all this losing doesn't mentally damage uh, Zegers and Terry and all those guys. Well, that... With Kling- with Klingberg in trade at the end of the year, but if you get one of those uh, two young players upset, well, then you really got problems. Well, so Terry has 28 points in 32 games. Zegers has 25 points in 32 games. And then McTavish has 18 points in 32 games. I think McTavish has been better um, lately. But, 
Yeah, that, I mean, so that, I guess that is kind of like, they, that's still not bad. It's not great either, I guess, but um, just for your top players. Um, so, so maybe there is like an aspect of like, it, once they stop scoring, then it's when you start to be like, okay, I think then Dallas Eakins has to go. But at the same time. Well, well just, just their ability to like, like go out and make a difference yeah. and like the eagerness to do so. Yeah. I, that that's what I mean. I I think it, like you you could tell there was a vibe about them last year. Yeah. I don't notice it as much this year, and True. I think the losing has done a number on that. Yeah, I was going to say at the same time they lost to Toronto seven to nothing. Yeah, <laughs> despite yeah. the recent stretch of good luck, yeah. uh, they got walloped by the Maple Leafs. Yeah. And he, and even worse, I mean, yeah, the Maple Leafs are a good team as we as we just mentioned. Um, but even worse, the Sharks, which are a bad team, they lost to them six to one. Uh, the other day, so it's like they're losing. They're, they're getting. It's not that they're getting blown out by good teams. Like that's expected yeah. to be blown out by Toronto. They're getting blown mm-hmm. out by San Jose. They also got shut out by your Ottawa Senators. Um, yeah. So it's just like I don't know. It's just. Um, I mean, I guess it is encouraging that they they were they do have some fight with them by beating Montreal and by beating Edmonton, um, even though Dostal had to stand on his head, but. It's just, um, yeah, ridiculous. Um, all right, uh, that about does it here for us here on Lace Em Up. You can follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We will talk in episode 348 of the Lace Em Up Podcast. Uh, by the way, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy yep. Hanukkah, Happy New Year, whatever you celebrate this time of year. Uh, the next time we speak to you will be after the holiday season. Uh, Boxing Day, I believe, will be our next recording. Yep. So uh, take care, stay safe, God bless, and we'll talk again soon. Happy holidays.